Hey, this is Max Minghella, director of Teen Spirit. Over the next few weeks, the filmmakers will be talking to our friends about the movie and also not about the movie. This week, Vanity Fair chief film critic Richard Lawson sits down with Jamie Bell and myself for an unfiltered chat about our friendship, making movies with music, the ups and downs of working together, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Stay tuned. All right. Well, I'm Richard Lawson. I'm the chief film critic for Vanity Fair, but I'm here today more in a friend capacity, supporter capacity, mm-hmm. with Max Minghella, the writer and director of Teen Spirit, and Jamie Bell, the executive producer of Teen Spirit. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. How's Thanks it going? Being, Thanks for being here, Richard. Happy to be, you know, sunny Los Angeles, beats yes. New York. Yeah. Um, so I saw this movie in at Toronto. I guess it must have been its premiere, right? Um, mm-hmm. And But I know this has been a long time coming for you two. Um, so for those not familiar, I want to just kind of go way back and you guys have such a particular rapport, which, um, anyone who knows you, you know, understands what I mean when I say that, um, how do you guys know each other? How like, cause you were friends before you were creative collaborators, right? Actually not true. We were weirdly enemies before we became friends. Uh, so we are at this point without knowing each other, really, uh, 18, 19, and we've heard through some kind of grapevine. Um, that Max Minghella has been talking shit about Jamie Bell. <laughs> you know, uh, and we, we didn't, we'd never met each other. We didn't know each other. And I'd heard this from another source uh, as well. He'd heard that Jamie Bell was talking shit about him, which was so bizarre. Um, and I couldn't quite believe that it was true. Uh, it certainly wasn't true on my, on my end of things. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you were talking shit about me, actually. I was, certainly wasn't talking shit about you. No, I'd gotten a, we both independently gotten phone calls from anonymous sources saying from like that, friends. No, like, I don't know. I don't even know how he found out, but it was like this person does not like you and thinks you're shit. Wow. Yeah, I heard the same. I heard the same thing. So your solution to that was to approach each other and be no, like, "No, I, I was shooting a movie in Scotland at the time, and I didn't have any friends, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and I, I and um I consider." Max, really, truly my one and only friend. Um, so at that time, I, I emailed him and I was like, I've been hearing some stuff that you've said. I don't know if it's true, um, but I'm going to be in New York in like a week or whatever. Can we can we meet up? Like, I'd love to like get to the bottom of this. Um, and he responded very eloquently, very kindly. And, um, and then we met up at the Mercer in New York where... Uh, we had a couple of drinks and we're like, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have so many um, points of connection in terms of obviously you're in the same industry, but I mm-hmm. think the way that you talk about films and you're, you sort of have an intense um, interest in not just the artistry, but also sort of the business side of things. Sure. I don't know if I can out you guys as being in a sort of fantasy football-esque league, uh, sure. which I think is really interesting. So did that kind of just pop up right away? You were like, okay, we're, we're, we could talk about this forever. Was, was that the feeling? The, the reality was for me anyway, that Jamie was one of the actors I admired the most. And so it was... It, it was wonderful to just connect with somebody that I genuinely looked up to. I think we do have a very particular rapport that we kind of clicked into instantly. It's sort of like the same with any with any kind of uh, relationship in life. When I first read your tweets, I felt a deep connection <laughs> to wherever they were coming from. Um, 
And I'm certainly somebody who doesn't have a lot of friends, but the friends I have are, are people I, I, I love deeply and care about deeply. So it was a very instant connection, uh, our kind of evolution into a more of a professional collaboration took a long time. I was so nervous to, I mean, you know, as, as someone who has, uh, is such an interest in the medium of writing, direct, everything that goes into making a movie, even to like how it's marketed and everything. Um, I was so nervous to reach out to him to ask if he would be interested in, you know, coming up with ideas or like writing stuff or um, just kind of communicating collaboratively was such a stretch. And I remember where I was when I, uh, I was at the farmer's market in Malibu and I, I my manager, my long serving suffering manager of 20 something years, um, she said, why don't you just work with Max? It seems like a perfect fit. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And I remember texting him saying like, I have an idea for something. And him responding so overwhelmingly positively, like, you know, that it, I was surprised. And, uh, it, it, it was, it, I mean, I don't know if you felt tense about it. I felt really, uh, he's someone that I admire, I respect greatly. So therefore I feel very nervous when it comes to anything that is, that I produce. Right. So even in terms of like my acting or anything become very, his opinion of what that is, is very important. To and me. you know how opinionated he can And be. he can be a complete <laughs> yeah. arsehole. Let's yeah. be fair. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I am too. Yeah. Re, you know, horrible. When it comes to well, you're speaking about something that's actually pertinent. I think one of the great things about this collaboration is that Jamie is is far more likable than I am, and I think it's been very, very helpful, genuinely, um, in working together. That is a good cop, bad cop dynamic, and that's mm. helpful. You're darker haired; he's lighter haired. It's sort of yes. <laughs> he's witty. I'm serious. It's a good. It's a. Right, it's right. A, no. It's a good. It's a good combination, and I think we also offer up very different things when it comes to writing. We had no idea when we when we kind of dived into this process whether it would actually function or not. Um, it's been a massive relief to discover that that I think Jamie contributes things that I I wouldn't know how to, and I don't think Teen Spirit A would ever have happened without Jamie. And I and I wouldn't be as proud of the movie without his without everything he brought to it. Um, How it, much did the original idea look like what people can see on screen now? I mean, did, did it change a lot, or was it pretty clear in your heads? I mean, I, th I think uh, Max had been making little movies um, with a, a lot of our friends. We have a lot, of, you know, obviously a lot of friends in common and stuff. And and I would see these movies and be like, I don't, you know, there's obviously. Um, an ability to um, express himself visually with the kind of the language of everything. Um, he did this one film in particular. It was called, can I talk about it? Yeah, that? of course. It was called Unlocked. And it was just this great idea of um, when you pull up to like a valet in Los Angeles, you very willingly give basically your whole life away to whoever is the valet person. And he he kind of flexed on that idea and, and turned it into this kind of very taut interesting little thriller and to this day whenever i pull up into a valley i take my key <laughs> off my uh, car key it was just very affecting and, and beautifully done um so i knew he, he he was so capable of doing something and he'd kind of been teetering on the idea of venturing into directing a movie obviously that territory is um tricky kind of turbulent territory for max his father was a great filmmaker um, one of the great filmmakers of our time. 
um, made some beautiful, incredible films. So I could see that the, the, the hesitancy to kind of follow that route might be tricky, but I always wanted to encourage him to do that because I felt he, he was so um, right to do it. Anyway, I, I, I sent him an email. I said, like, just send me everything that you have that you're interested in doing. I was on an airplane and he sent me um, a couple of things. I read two or three different scripts and this one stood out because it was most unlike him. Mm-hmm. I would say it was probably more like me. It was probably why I responded to it the most. Um, coherent script, really well written, e- economically written. Um, but needed a lot of a lot of help. And I would say that Jamie evolved that into something that had a, an emotional connectivity that I'm lacking. I, I, that's that's really the difference in our skill sets. I'm quite obsessed with editing. That's sort of the thing that I, I'm the most familiar with conceptually. Uh, people often ask me about growing up in my father's film sets and what I absorbed or didn't absorb. I The reality is I wasn't on set that much. And if I was on set, I was more interested in, you know, getting Gwyneth Paltrow to pay attention to me than what, what, <laughs> Did what, what my dad was doing with with lenses. Um, so I wasn't really kind of absorbing that stuff. And and editing was something I couldn't escape. Uh, I I was I was forced to spend much of my childhood watching people do ADR and um and take these kind of four and a half hour assemblies and turn them into palatable two hour cuts. So I was so overtly um, comfortable with that idea. And that really leads the whole process for me when I'm, we're in the process of writing something new right now, I'm constantly thinking about post-production. It's a very specific lens to view things through. And Jamie is, because he's such an extraordinary actor, I think can, it, inhabit character in a way that I don't know how to, and 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 think about the, uh, the that uh, that that emotional connection that an audience needs to 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 want to invest in a story, and and I, I think that what he brought to the script was so invaluable, and um, we also aren't so different in our taste, mm-hmm. so it's very rare that Jamie will come up with an idea for a scene or, or come up with a line or whatever that that bumps me. It's, it's often that we're, we're very aligned. We're just kind of coming from different places. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting that it's this story that you guys did your first, you know, feature film with and with a, with a leading actress in, in Elle Fanning, who all three of you share, you, you started acting young. I mean, Elle especially, and you, Jamie, too, especially, mm-hmm. I don't know when you got your start, Max, but um, and you've all been young B-season. actors thrown into things, right? <laughs> um, Probably before that, actually, as well. No, it was B, no, B season. B season was, a, was my was iconic a, was debut. A, it was a big get. <laughs> um, and then this is this story about this girl really reaching for fame in a very direct way. And sure, she likes to sing, but the project of this show that she's on is to make you famous. It's not to necessarily to make you a better singer. I mean, that's at least how I saw it. So, are were you? guys reflecting on your own experiences like as like young performers in telling this story i mean was it kind of like therapeutic in some way it's interesting that just sort of that idea of fame i don't feel like that that's violet's motivation in any way i think her her motivation is is to escape and that comes with Mm -hmm. some of the stuff you're talking about and and that's a very personal story to me i mean i grew up in london which is not a prison by any stretch of the imagination but i would say i definitely didn't feel a part of that culture and um i'm the 
the son of two immigrants who are very loud immigrants, if that makes sense. Like they, that's a big part of their personalities and how they view the world. My, my, my father and my mother, both people who always feel like they don't belong in a room, that they are looking through glass at more glamorous people. And I've just absorbed that in such a loud way. It's such a huge part of who I am too, um, whether that makes sense or not. And, and so Violet is such a reflection, I think, of that idea. Uh, the movie takes place on the Isle of Wight, which is, you know, yes, where my father is from. So there's a kind of personal connection to that. But it also felt like a perfect metaphor for a, a girl on an island who sort of dreamed of the horizon beyond. Um, I think what happens to Violet and the 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 pressures of the industry and all that comes with it is is an unfortunate kind of consequence of her her desire to to um feel fulfilled and artistically expressed what did l bring to that conversation because she you know is from a family that you know her older sister started acting really young like did she bring a sort of perspective that you guys didn't have or she brought so much to it the there's a long backstory here richard which is that the, the movie was originally set in poland and was 90% in Polish until about... I think it was actually Croatian. Croatian, it was Polish. Set, it there were so the many different incarnations. Croatia, okay. which is literally the smallest town in the world. That mm -hmm. was the idea. She literally comes from the smallest town in the world. Um, and and then was, we changed it to Poland. Yes, it was. there were so many incarnations of it. None of them were versions of the film where it was an English language movie. And it, we actually sort of managed to wrangle the film together somehow in that incarnation the problem is we couldn't cast the part we couldn't find anybody who could speak polish or croatian and english and Same. could sing and mm. could dance play the age range we needed and act you had set a really hard task before yourself <laughs> it felt yeah. like an yeah. impossible yeah. sort of list and well i mean it's it's like you would get someone who can sing beautifully but you know, wasn't the the greatest actor or or vice versa. I mean, trying to fill that entire criteria was just basically impossible. And it came, we were close to the gun on having to pull the trigger on some people. Mm -hmm. I was shooting something at the time and uh, we were going through the casting process and we have an amazing casting director on this she's called Julie Harkin. She's brilliant. Um, uh, and we were getting sent these tips and, you know, similar kind of issues kept cropping up and we were about to announce in Berlin that the movie was happening and, and that Max was making, this is directorial debut and um, this is the script and this is the concept. And they wanted to announce with an actor, you know, to, to kind of make, to pop the announcement. And I remember there was this one day I was shooting something that I was literally on the phone with Max, I think for about 15 hours of that day, just con like calling and calling back and calling and then dropping out and then calling back again. Um, where I said, you have to, you have to know that this person you wake up to this person and you go to the set with them and you work on something so hard and it's it's a it's a dream that you're trying to accomplish and if you're looking at the monitor and you're not 100% convinced by this person at this stage before casting them i just don't think you're ever going to be convinced with them when you're on the set and you're you know losing $100,000 a day and yada yada and trying to complete the schedule and it kind of came down to crunch time and i said i just don't think you can announce the movie with any cast because i don't think we have who we're looking for. It's not the right fit. It was, it was an example of Jamie being a great producer. Mm -hmm. He just kind of stepped forward. He protected me. I said, as a, beyond the producer, beyond that role that I'm inhabiting currently, as a friend, I, I think it's a mistake. I think you can't do that. 
Um, How was that to hear? Did you, I mean, did you immediately agree or was there like, I was terrified. I really thought at that point, the movie was just not going to happen. We'd, we'd done, we'd pulled together so much and seemingly it felt impossible given that was a foreign language movie. And the idea that we were just now going to sort of give up was devastating, but I agreed with him fundamentally that we shouldn't make the movie with the wrong person. So we announced the movie without a cast. We were told by everybody that was sort of the end. And, uh, days later we got a phone call an incoming phone call to say that Elle Fanning wanted to do the movie because she had heard she'd she, heard about the announcement wow. in Berlin with so no it cast. worked <laughs> apparently yeah I was deeply cynical yeah I just did not understand how this part could possibly line up to an American I would say that Elle Fanning was definitely one of my five favorite working actors that's not just like a, a retro fit like it, she genuinely was somebody I admired hugely I just could not I could not wrap my head around it. And I went to have lunch with her. I mean, Al Fanning playing a Croatian, it's tricky. It felt difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I went and had lunch with her and she she tapped into so many things so quickly uh, that were hard to shake. So the first thing she said was, well, it's a lot like Girl Model, which is this very small, obscure documentary that I had seen and was very influential on the script. But nobody had seen it jamie hadn't seen it it wasn't a film that was in the ether at all and the fact that she kind of recognized that so quickly and 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 was comfortable with that was sort of excited about that idea was was hugely reassuring to me and then i got to know a little bit more about her and her own circumstances and a lot of that actually got absorbed into the script um it was a really really helpful it really was and she's such a smart filmmaker as well as an actor she's not like a lot of great actors i think find it difficult to look beyond their role in something and look beyond their character and that's what often makes them great uh l has this kind of weird you know, duplicity as a person where she's sort of able to see things through violet lens and also through the bigger picture um and is very tuned into like production logistics and silly things like that so uh she was an amazing collaborator and it made it made a lot of sense immediately that she should be this person so we did a very kind of quick rewrite and, and reimagining of the screenplay um and that affected all sorts of things it didn't just affect violet it actually affected jules which was the part that rebecca hall ended up playing and that part grew and shifted dramatically very quickly so we ended up shooting a movie with with a basically a new script that had been written in you know two weeks or something um but the arc was the same from when you'd first written i mean like um because i'm curious where how, how did you arrive at the singing competition kind of format for it was that like because that was like the most obvious vehicle for someone to you know kind of very quickly leave where they're you know the isle of white or whatever or it, th that was very early there was sort of a couple of initial seeds uh, for this idea with me. One was, one was Zlatko Burek, who plays Vlad. I'd seen him in a couple of things. I was sort of obsessed with him. And I wanted to build a movie around him. And I was trying to figure out how to do that. At the same time, I had become very interested in musicals. I don't really like musicals, but I love music and I love pop music and I love how cinematic they could be. So I was interested in the idea of, of a of a music driven movie where where the songs were performed for for, log, for a logical reason, and a singing competition felt like a very natural forum for that. And I also wanted to do covers. I wanted to do songs that people knew. Um, I'm somebody who, when I go to a concert, I want to hear the hits. I don't want to hear the new album. But yeah, so I thought, oh, this would be great to do a, a movie where people are singing songs that people 
know and like. Yeah. Um, and it all kind of grew grew from there. Um, from a kind of purely production and sort of financial standpoint, I mean, that is also, though, putting a challenge in front of you in terms of like getting rights to things and all that. So like, did you get everything you wanted in terms of the songs? Because I know you guys had a really curatorial approach to specific, you know, songs that you wanted. Um, what was that process like? Was it kind of headache inducing or did it kind of go easily? It was a miracle. It yeah. was truly a miracle. I think any movie that gets made is a miracle. Our miracle was that we'd met a producer called Fred Berger previously to making Teen Spirit. We'd written another very small, very different, very dark film. Um, and we'd, we'd, we'd talked to Fred about uh, working with him on it. That movie, for many reasons, didn't come to fruition, but we'd remembered him and we'd really liked him. And he was a, a young producer. He hadn't done much if anything i think at that point on his own um but we liked him we felt a trust with him and we took the project over and he was like oh this is funny i'm actually in the process of making another musical it's called la la land and i don't know what's <laughs> going to happen with it but we're trying to get it together and uh he did get that movie together and that movie happened with interscope records being a big kind of collaborator so we didn't know this when we prescribed all these songs into our screenplay but um, 90% of the songs that we'd wanted in the film uh, were Interscope songs. So just, were, that was just coincidence. Just total fucking wow. coincidence. Yeah. Is that mental? Wow. So That's crazy. Kismet. kismet. Yeah. It was know, very yeah. kismet. Yeah. So uh, this movie would never have happened without Fred. It also wouldn't have weirdly happened, I think, without his experience on that movie. A lot of, a lot of our luck on this film has been piggybacking off the success of La La Land. Mm. Um, we got to work with Marius and uh, Debris and Steve Gazicki, who were part of the music team on that film, that never would have happened um, if they hadn't enjoyed that collaboration with Fred so much. When everything finally, I mean, coalesced to the point where you're like, okay, we actually are going to make this. We have like a start date and all that. Do does a new set of nerves kick in? I mean, because now you now you actually have to deliver on it. Like, what was that feeling like when you knew that it was actually going to go and it wasn't just a kind of theoretical? So it was really, I mean, it's really kind of irritating. Uh, in terms of getting into production, um, we'd spent, you know, we we'd spent what's felt like just months finessing the script, um, on your apartment on Hillhurst, overlooking little doms, and we'd see a lot of filmmakers going in there on their meetings, and we'd pontificate about what the projects were and if they'd rented that car or not rented the car. <laughs> we thought about maybe starting a podcast actually at that point, actually just giving up. Is on it the a rental? Entirely. Is it a rental? <laughs> Is it a rental or not? Um, <laughs> Anyway, but the, just the, the, the months of uh, finessing and trying to make it all work, finally getting that green light that you're talking about, and then Max kind of getting a schedule and going over to London and um, location scouting. And, you know, as an actor, being part of this process from a, a different point of view, um, trying to get flights and people's availability and getting them to come in early to try and prep them and rehearse them and, and have fittings and all that stuff. Um, was just a real eye opener because the amount of times that I've been like, well, I'm not fucking going with these before to fucking do fucking whatever. I don't even want to fuck, fuck that. As a producer, you're like, fucking get on a plane, <laughs> like fucking come and 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 uh, help us out here. But I mean, it's it's everything. What's so great about having done this, and you know, been working in in films for so long is is um, there's always new shit to learn. I mean, always. I mean, right? So I mean, much to learn, and you—you know, you, you don't know anything when you get to do it, yeah, yeah. and you just you're learning all the time. I also, I, I, 
I, I really like the uh, the sort of I don't know, I guess the specificity of it in terms of the the Isle of Wight stuff and wanting to work with this one particular actor. Um, aside from any sort of visual aesthetic, is that how you guys want to work going forward in terms of like how close to your own experiences do, do, do movies have to be that you make going going forward? Oh, God, I don't think I don't think at all. Um, I, I, I don't I, I, I think you can't escape yourself, unfortunately, mm -hmm. <laughs> like especially as a director like i think you're so naked in the in the work you make whether you want to be or not um but we're very driven by concepts i would mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. that's sort of the thing that excites us the most um we like genre we like we like thinking like to go back to your point about our interest in in the bigger picture we like the business side of it as as much as the artistic side of it and so i think it all kind of percolates in the same soup uh, so I don't think we'd ever endeavor to make something that we didn't we didn't feel like there was a tra trajectory for. Mm -hmm. It's too difficult. It's so hard, and we were rescued so many times in this process by the fact that this was a concept that people could wrap their head around, um, and they weren't scared of. I think without that viability, it would just have been impossible. Um, so, in terms of the business side of things, like, um, so you have a film that's you know wrapped, and maybe you're in post-production you're trying to figure out okay where do we take this how, how do we show this to the world for the first time um you had your eyes on toronto initially was that always the kind of the goal or how does that planning process work I'm, i've always been kind of curious about that because i'm on there on the other side of things mm, you know i mean this has been the longest post-production i mean it's, it's been a long time so i do a tv show at the same at, at, at the same time so i left the set of teen spirit and i went straight to shooting a, a season of this show so we had to put the whole post-production on pause for a long time, which is a very unusual way. Were you like, was that like agonizing or were you just kind of... No, I was very grateful. It yeah. actually felt like a vacation. Um, and I think that the benefit of hindsight is huge. I think every filmmaker would probably dream of that, like that break and mm -hmm. that separation. So I think it really was a, a kind of a wonderful benefit mm -hmm. to the movie that um, I could come back to it instantly with objectivity. Uh, Toronto was came out of two things. One is I have a big relationship with Toronto now because I live there essentially eight months out of the year and it's a place I just love. And that's a festival that, as you know, is just kind of got a great energy to it. Yeah. Um, it, given that it's at the height of award season, it's a weirdly kind of unjudgmental environment. People really do love movies and they're there to enjoy movies and this is an audience film so it felt it's not like, a cynical festival it's not yeah. a cynical festival yeah. exactly and it's it, it's it felt like the right home for it it also just in terms of timing it just felt like the most natural place to go yeah but i mean as, as a film that was it's a little movie you know it doesn't have we didn't have distributors built in there's no kind of guarantee really even after finishing the movie and getting it ready for like a festival screening so that 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 screening really dictated what happened next i mean i think we went in there with our fingers crossed, hoping for a great reaction. And you Did know, you sit in the room when it screened? Did I, you watch it? I was in Toronto, but I, here's the other thing. I couldn't even be at the premiere because I had another film. Yeah, two other you were on another honeymoon? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> went on another honeymoon. Yeah. He was on Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra's 13th <laughs> honeymoon. So married yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, this is brutal. I've just missed every kind of vital moment in this movie. Were you, you, did you sit through the screening? Man? You're coming to South by. Um, yeah. I, I did. It was, I don't remember any of it. It was yeah. like a fever dream. 
uh, at one point the audio broke during the screening. Oh god. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. That's not that's not a fun thing to to sit through. But I'm very grateful that the movie played as well as it did, and we survived the experience. Yeah, and that's where you guys got your distribution and everything, right? Was it's out a, of that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was so nervous. Just not being there and kind of not knowing like what was going on, like just texting him, kind of waiting for him to come out of the screening, seeing how it went, how did it play, and then and then just there's inevitable discussions afterwards, like is anyone kind of biting at this wire that we've thrown out there? Um, but it was so nice. I mean, I saw him, I saw you guys that night, um, just kind of celebratory night because we'd managed to sell the film, and you know suddenly all those. There's that Hillhurst apartment overlooking Edgar Wright and being so, so successful and taking his one on one general meetings with all those actors kind of felt like it paid off. And then how <laughs> you 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 mentioned that you're 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 working on new things like how soon I mean, obviously, you're still with Teen Spirit in a big way. Uh, how do you divide that sort of mental time well, between you guys also have acting jobs that you're working on? Mm-hmm. What what does that equation look like now? I, I was so useless in my twenties. I really spent most of it doing absolutely nothing, and I now feel like this bizarre energy to 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 really work. Um, and it's all exciting to me. I I don't want us to sit around and be be precious. I'm really keen for us to make another movie quickly. I don't want us to rush into the wrong thing, but I want us to keep putting stuff out there. I think it'll only improve our work and. You know, we we still have lots to learn, um, but it was very successful a collaboration. We really enjoyed it. We met lots of people that we loved working with, and you want to get back out there with them and and play. And and uh, how's the friendship? I mean, do you guys do you feel like you know each other in a a new and deeper way, or uh, is it just kind of like more of the same? I don't think we've had a single fight in this movie. Yeah, no, I mean. No, I think Jamie gets frustrated. With I get, all yeah, the frustrated time. sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> nothing too intense. The friendship is always good. I mean, it's so it's such solid stock. I mean, I mean, I just I think sometimes like what you know, what if I really believe that he was actually just talking shit, saying like Jamie Bell's a twat or whatever the fuck it was, and hadn't reached out and emailed him. Max is one of the most important people in my life. Um, there's no question. He's changed my life, in whereas he wouldn't really understand um you know but like i just I can't imagine not having him as a soundboard and just someone that you know you shoot the shit with and also you get to work with that person and kind of invent stuff with that person we have um such fun like creating things i mean it really is uh um just a, a great gift to, to be able to work with your mate um you know you can't kind of downplay that at all but it's still fucking annoying i mean like this there's still a certain part where i'm like it needs to be like that and he's like no it needs to be like this and it's fucking infuriating sometimes is there beyond that is there like a a genre you want to tackle is there even like a shot you want to try like an explosion or a car chase i mean like what's what's the what's a particular ambition we love a mystery yeah i really do i love a puzzle we love a puzzle. Yeah. Now we're just hypothesizing about nonsense. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, let's yeah. hope we're lucky enough to make another movie. I mean, if I've learned anything from this film, it's like, holy fuck. It really is not a joke. The luck that has to come into play at every turn is so intense um, that I don't think it really has anything to do with anything but that. It's just like the chance of, of things colliding in the right way. Well, I do, think, you, do you want yeah. to ask him about the fact that he's wearing a hat that says Goldenstein on it? 
funny. Oh, actually, yeah, that's right. So you guys have a certain sort of what would you call it? Nicknames, I guess they, what they are. Uh, can can you explain <laughs> sure. to to your listeners uh, yeah. what that's all about? So me and Max occupy these alter egos called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. It's actually amazing that we have stayed as ourselves during this entire Interview. conversation. It's so true, far, this is the true. longest we've ever gone, I think, talking without, without breaking into in. either an Australian accent or an Irish. Accent. Your podcast could be called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are alive. And this is the origin story of that podcast. Thank you for listening. Richard, thank you so much for coming and doing this with us. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was it was fun. And uh, yeah, I'm, I hope that uh, it helps people get excited about the movie because they should be. Thank you, man. We're your biggest fans. This is just an excuse to get more time. With hey, you. Twitter, man. Yeah, look, man. Look where Twitter takes you. True. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, yeah. <laughs> I heard you were talking shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> only only on DM though, so <laughs> no, somebody said you got a new friend. Does she love? Alright, that was our first episode. Thanks for listening. Next week, Renaissance woman Rashida Jones will be talking to star L Fanning. Talk Spirit is brought to you by Q Code, Bleaker Street, LD Entertainment, and Automatic. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. See you next week.